You are in for a treat today as we will be talking to Denise Soler Cox, the queen of belonging, an award-winning Latina filmmaker, and she was our MC for Financially Strong Latina 2022. Don't go anywhere. Yes, you are here. Bienvenida to the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a mixed language podcast hosted by me, Jen Hemphill, to help you become the reign of your money and love your dinero more. If you are needing some inspiration and encouragement at this very moment, you have come to the right place. Gracias por compartir este tiempo conmigo. Now let's jump in to today's Dose of Money Confidence. Hola, hola. How's it going? This is Jen Hempel, your host, and I am so pumped about today's guest as I have gotten to know her, work with her, and definitely share some good laughs with her this year. Let me share with you a little bit about Denise Soler-Cox. She went from a stay-at-home mom to an award-winning activist filmmaker, a top 100 podcaster, and a sought-after Fortune 500 speaker. She uses her experience to transform lives through storytelling. In 2014, she co-founded Project a multimedia production company whose purpose is to transform how we think about culture, identity, and what it means to belong. She is currently in production with her second feature-length documentary about secret keeping in the Latinx community and is also working on a forthcoming book about belonging. Today, you will get to learn the story of how she became a filmmaker and the different layers to the story which you will want to pay close attention to. Get ready to laugh, get inspired, touched, and possibly tear up. Bienvenida, Denise. I am so thrilled to have you here. I have told you before we started recording that I've heard so many great things about you from different people. And finally, you are here on the Herdinero Matters podcast. So welcome. Thank you so much. And likewise, and I am seriously honored to be on this podcast sharing this time with you. Well, let's, as usual in this podcast, we start off going back in time. So if you could tell us, if we could just go back in time where you were maybe a little girl or some experience, some lesson that you have around money, some money memory, if you could talk to us about that. Wow. Okay. I wish I could say this money memory was a good one, (laughs) but it definitely planted the seeds for how, for my relationship with money, which I, which I'm excited to talk about. One of my first memories about money is when my family, and it was my immediate family and also my extended family, would talk about rich people as people other than us. (laughs) And it's funny, I often questioned that, like, that's interesting. I think I'm a born critical thinker. And I was like, this just doesn't match up because like how is rich opposite of us? And then also it got interchanged with white 
So white and rich as the opposite of us. And that's actually in my film as one of my earliest memories. And a lot of people I know probably can identify with that. And thankfully, I questioned it because it's obviously not good to compare or to use the word rich as something that's not in relationship to you two. <laughs> right? I relate to that because even though I don't know if it was used in that way for me, but I interpreted just because of the experiences like mi abuelita had of everything being taken away from her and just starting over and having to raise kids as a single mom with no education. And it was taken away from people that had money. And so for me, like being rich was not a good thing. <laughs> wow. Yes. But with my dad's white, so that was not a part of it. But it's very interesting. Yeah, the rich for me, it took me a long time to really be okay with rich, what are considered rich people or being okay to be better off than other family members. So I completely relate. Yeah, it messes with you because it's almost like we become attached to that value system, right? And then fear to be different from that. And it feels like a risk to then be successful and potentially be rich or rich as perceived in that example, which is like not us. So if you're successful, then you're not one of us. That's a very scary idea for a kid and an adult. So how did this play out later on? Like maybe as you became an adult, when did you notice? Let's go start with that. When did you notice the impact of that on maybe on your life, because maybe it played out in some aspect. Yeah, it definitely played out. I'm going to say, thank goodness it played out well for me. Like I said, I feel like from a very young age, I was a critical thinker. I was able to look at things and question them. It actually was a problem as a kid. And using a recent example with Encanto, I'm totally Bruno. I'm totally the one that says what she's feeling. And in many ways, the truth. And so a lot of hand slapping, a lot of no, 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 a lot of kind of curbing my opinions publicly, <laughs> which only made me, you know, trying to kind of censor my natural curiosity to try to quell it and not make it so uncomfortable. Some of the questions that I would ask and some of the things that I would question. And so how it played out was, I don't want to be like that. And unfortunately, I don't want to be like you, mm. Right. Which is so that's very difficult, especially if you're Latino, to actually have the sense like, I don't want to use those words. I don't want to struggle. I don't agree with la lucha sigue. Like, I don't want to utter those words. I don't want that. I have had plenty of struggle, plenty of challenges in my past. I don't want to invite it into my present. And in my early 20s, I realized the huge implication of the words we use to communicate. I knew there was something funky and funny about it, but it was more gut level. And then when I was in my early 20s, I learned that to be true. And I adjusted the words that I used to communicate about myself and about others. And I guess things really got cooking at that point with my relationship with money and how I was going to differentiate myself from the lessons that I was taught about it inadvertently and very much like passed down unconsciously from my parents and their parents and my extended family and the whole culture, to be honest. And when do you think there was a shift in you? Yeah, I would say I was about 22 years old. And I realized this is my words create a world. Mm. 
you know, I used to believe I was unlucky, which is very odd if someone meets me today, because I'm probably one of the most positive, upbeat people that most people know, right? But there was a chapter in my life when some pretty terrible things happened, a long chapter from like nine years old to like 17 years old chapter, multiple things. And I just decided, and many of this is in my first film, and the rest of it is in my second film and also in my upcoming book. And I realized the way I was describing my life to myself consciously, you know, the thoughts we have consciously, the conversations, conscious conversations we have to ourselves, right? Meaning like, ah, this never works out. Or I knew the other shoe was going to drop, you know, those types of things that we tell ourselves. I was kind of getting an F in like uh, how to talk to myself in a healthy way. And once I realized that that was actually creating the world that I was living in, I just stopped cold turkey. And I decided, okay, I've lived my life believing I'm unlucky. What about if I were to make up something different? And if I believed and told myself and acted as if I was the luckiest person, and if I always got the best parking space, and if I always was given grace by other human beings, and if I always was the exception to the rule. And I I know this sounds slightly, uh, if not more, Pollyanna, but that's what I did. And that's what I attribute a lot of my success to. And you were lucky that you noticed that early on and you made the shift early on. For me, it took, my husband and I were married already 10 years, so we were in our 30s. And I didn't realize the impact of everything, what I heard in my childhood and how much I still thought that way and how I recycled those thoughts. And I created basically that reality. (laughs) And so it's just, I love that you were able to really notice that and acknowledge that and shift that. And so I applaud you because I know for me, it took me a while longer. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't mean that I didn't stumble. I mean, I shifted gears, but I had a long journey. We'll put it that way. So like I kind of figured out how to drive stick, but man, like my journey, even with Project Enya, where I feel like things really kind of took off. Like, you know, we arrived somewhere, we're still on our journey, but the actual decision to completely change my life and become a filmmaker, something I had no training in, came in my early 40s. So all of that mindset work was the seeds of it were growing, and they were bearing fruit enough for me to say, I think I'm going to totally shift my entire life and try this new thing. And if if it's the last thing I do, this is what I want to do with my life. It, It took 20 years of mindset work for that risk, which is kind of crazy. Well, let's talk more about that. What sparked your interest as a filmmaker? I'm sure, I don't know how many Latinas are filmmakers. Do you know? Not many. Not many, many, I figured. Yeah. And when I first got started, I heard a statistic that it was about 2%, like female directors, let's say. And then, of course, it's increased since then over time, but it's still minuscule compared to the white male filmmaker, director, right? And a lot of the The world of investing, you know, when they say like X tiny little percentage is invested in female founders, you know, whenever we hear those statistics, it's about the same as X Mm -hmm. percentage of filmmakers get their films funded and or slash get their films or projects distributed and major outlets. So yeah, it definitely statistically was not my favorite. So thank God I didn't listen to that. (laughs) You know, that's awesome. So what sparked your shift and going and 
to becoming a filmmaker? Yeah. So what sparked it is literally being sick of myself saying the same thing over and over again. So here's an example. I had the idea for the film when I was 26 years old. And it was, I was at a bar with a bunch of my friends and I had been living this life of, you know, ni de aquí, ni de allá, not even knowing that saying. So it was in the nineties, no internet, nothing like that. Like mm-hmm. all this stuff was kind of new, no YouTube, no Google. So I didn't know where my people were and also didn't have words to express how I was feeling. It was a very internal experience. So hanging out with my friends at a bar, we're drinking, we're laughing. And all of a sudden we're talking about stuff that is deep and stuff that at an identity level made me feel seen for the first time and kind of rattled me into this feeling of, wait a second, everybody here at this table feels like this, then all of us probably feel like this. And if I've lived my life up until now, regardless if I was in my late 20s, made the decision to change the way I speak because it creates worlds, this was one Mm -hmm. that I hadn't even touched. This was a deep-seated belief. You know, they say, like, we don't know our negative belief systems, or they say it's hard to find our limiting belief systems because we believe them. (laughs) So it's not like they're marked limiting belief system. They're not marked like that. It's not like we can go to that shelf and take it off and say, oh, okay, I think I'm going to return to sender. No, no. We literally believe it. So we can't tell the difference. That I'm alone was a belief system and no one could convince me that that wasn't true until that night. And I don't know why I felt this way because I had no training as a filmmaker. I had no skills or anything, but I did know the feeling that I had. And I knew that if I could share this feeling at scale, that it would have very big implications in the world. And meaning I'm not alone, right? Going from, I thought I was alone to I'm not alone. Wow. I need to make a movie about this. I don't know why it wasn't a book. I don't know why it wasn't whatever else it could have been, but it was a movie. But it took me 17 years to have the guts to step forward into this new career. And and in those 17 years, YouTube did come out and so did Google and the internet. And guess what? A lot of people are like, but how, but how, but how do you do it? I had all the how at my fingertips and I still didn't do it, which proves mm. at least for me that the how did not matter. It was really up here. And the moment was me writing down my goals because I'm very type A when it comes to my goals. I make lists and sub lists and, and subset lists and and to-do lists. And so, right, that's just how I'm wired. I also leave the dishes in the sink, so I'm not totally unrelatable. <laughs> <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> but I am very ambitious when it comes to certain things. And I went to write my goals down for the year. And I literally was like, you know what? This is the 17th time I'm going to write this down. Make movie. Mm. This was my favorite thing to talk about. Like, oh my God, one day I'm going to make a movie. It's going to be so amazing. It's going to, you know, like I would hype myself up so much in front of people I could spark this conversation up with, but then I would never do it because I didn't know how, but it wasn't ever about that. It was about so many more things. The first thing it was about was having the guts to just begin. and. I made a promise to myself that morning and said, if I don't make what I said, significant progress with this, this year, I gave myself a year to make significant progress, whatever that is. And if I don't make significant progress, I will never write this down again. And to me, writing it down meant it was always possible. But if I told myself, you can never do it again, you can never talk about it again. (laughs) 
that's what it took for me to step into this new life. And it wasn't like this. It was literally two years from that point that I actually started making the film. But I wouldn't change it for the world. And it has literally delivered a life to me of my dreams. When people say, oh, I want to have a life of my dreams, I always wanted to do the work that I'm doing. I always wanted to meet the people that I'm meeting, including you, Jen. And all of that is available through taking the massive risk to make the movie. Right. Now, if I'm not mistaken, your first film was Project Enya, correct? The business is called Project Enya. The entity is called Project Enya. The film is called Being Enya. Being Enya. Okay. Yeah. So what is an Enya? Talk to us about that for those that maybe don't know. Yeah. FYI, the definition has expanded, but as it was when I first started, it meant to me the first gen that was born here in the United States or who was brought here at a very young age and that had that very distinct feeling of not understanding or feeling grounded in where they belonged from a cultural identity point of view. And so not understanding or not feeling grounded in that like dual identity and, and growing up a lot of people are like, oh my God, you're both. This is amazing. You should celebrate. So I always felt so bad. I'm like, I don't want to celebrate. I'm conflicted. <laughs> I'm miserable. People think I'm not this and then I am. And then when I go to Puerto Rico, they call me a gringa. <laughs> you know, I'm being bullied for being, I don't want to say the word, but I was called some pretty mean names very specifically because I was Puerto Rican. and. People would change like that as soon as they heard. That is something to this day, actually, to this day. And I'm sure you have to, in some measure, kind of feel the same way. And kind of like bumping into this disdain for my culture and ethnicity, right? And that stuff starts very young. And so it's very hard to feel like I want to celebrate it. And I get where they're coming from. It's so well-intended. And what I wanted to do was give a gift to people that felt like me, that said, I see you, I feel just like you, you are so not alone. And now that we know we're not alone, which is the film number one, film number two is a big kind of leap into something really exciting and different. But anyway, yeah, I could go on and on, obviously. <laughs> well, I am so glad that you did this because I relate to you. I... Oh. Being here since eight years old from Colombia, being born of an American father, having the privilege of being an American citizen, yet coming to the States, not speaking English, and you know, people seeing me as a foreigner, which I was born an American citizen, but because of, I don't even know, sometimes it's how I looked, or sometimes it's what I said. Some years later, I've been here since I was eight, you know, just half my life. <laughs> <laughs> Just have fun. But since even today, it doesn't matter. I think it's part of being bilingual. Like sometimes in English, I don't pronounce things right. Sometimes in Spanish, I don't pronounce things right. So I go to Colombia. It is gringa. I come here. Where are you from? Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. And... What do you mean where I'm from? <laughs> you right. got an accent. Like, because then I also, as a military spouse, move around a lot. So I acquire mm. different accents from different regions. Mm -hmm. So I never know, like, you have an accent, like, 
what kind of an accent? I don't know what you're yes. talking about. So it's yes. been really interesting, but it wasn't until college where I felt a sense of belonging because I oh. always lived in a place where there wasn't a lot of Latinos. And then the Latinos that were there didn't think I belonged with them because of my skin color. No way. Yeah. But then the whites didn't think I belonged either because I was olive toned. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> you can't so, win, right? I can't win. I'm taking a quick second to interrupt your listening to remind you this show relies on your support to continue to grow. If you get a ton of value, it would mean everything if you can hit the follow button on wherever you listen to, share with a friend, and give us a quick and honest review. Gracias y te mando muchos abrazos. And then you're supposed to feel grateful all the time. It's like, I don't feel grateful all the time, you know? And it's not like I want to complain either because like literally my identity is so light. Like I really pride myself on the many, many years of therapy, of transformational seminars, transformational books. Man, I have been through the ringer. And like, I think that people need permission to be pissed. I think people need permission and space to be upset and being grateful all the time is a little bit of a stretch sometimes when you struggle with these things that we're not really taught that it's okay to complain about. So I think people should have permission to experience all of those feelings and then hopefully arrive at a place of, I don't know, a sense of power with all of it. That's my commitment to help as many people as I can through storytelling and et cetera. But yeah, it is a difficult space between, you know, and it needs to be, I think, always sort of acknowledged. Right. And with Project Anya and your films, and you mentioned because you didn't have the experience, right? This was a vision, something you wanted to do. And of course, you also mentioned funding, how it's hard to get funding. So talk to us about maybe some financial challenges in making the film. Share with us like how you navigated these times, what things were going through your mind, what discussions were happening with your husband, with your spouse? <laughs> yes. I would say the biggest thing, and this is a spoiler for anybody who has not seen the film, I would highly recommend you see it. You'll still love it, even if I tell you this. But I was in network marketing, and I was actually very successful in network marketing. And so I had earned the Mercedes. I had earned big team, right? And so I thought, wow, if I just move my attention over here, this that I've been building for so long will still sustain itself. Like that's the promise, right? But what I learned very quickly is that my energy really is best used in one thing. And there's a saying, you can't chase two bunnies. So I directed my energy to this and slowly but surely my income, that was this reliable, great monthly income began to crumble. Mm. So I didn't have to have conversations with my husband or so I thought, because I felt like it was going to be okay. And it was not. So at one point, we couldn't pay the rent. And I was living in a little bit of a diluted state, <laughs> thinking things might change or what have you. And then I realized, wow, we're not going to be able to pay our bills. And so 
I thought, okay, I'm resourceful. One of my favorite qualities, I think, as Latinos, I think we are taught that. And I think it's such a great feather in our cap. And what can I sell? I immediately thought. And then I looked at my hand and said, these rings. Mm. And that was the first conversation that I had with my husband about all of this. And I said, if we can sell these rings, we'll have some money for a little bit until things get better. (laughs) And so that was the biggest personal decision that I had to make was to sell those rings so many years ago. And that now I think was seven years ago. And I have a joke that selling the rings, it did help bridge some time and help buy me some more time, right? It also strengthened my marriage to be like rock solid. And I began to have a different relationship with things. And it's not like I don't like things. I love things. I love nice things. And I realized that our wedding rings, a good marriage doesn't make. And I had this attachment to the rings. And it's still sad. A lot of people at live events ask me, what happened to the rings? What did you ever get rings? And I was like, no, I'd rather go on vacation. Right. And it actually wasn't until two weeks ago, I'm totally going to cry, that my husband and I went to a jeweler here in Denver. And we picked out our new rings. And I was sitting there looking at him like, babe, we've come such a long way. Like, I can't, you know. That's beautiful. Yeah. So they're being made right now. And I feel like, you know, it's selling the rings and having a partner that's willing to take this risk with me has meant the world. And also, had he not done that, I feel like we always would have found a way, but I just was willing to trade that temporarily for an opportunity to keep doing what I felt like my heart was just guiding me to do, which was keep doing this. It's going to heal a lot of people. And I'm very motivated by making a difference in the world. I can tell just in hearing you speak and seeing you on social media, and I applaud your husband because supportive spouses are everything. Like I could not be doing what I'm doing without the support of my husband. I just couldn't. That's awesome. Just that type of support that's ongoing, <laughs> infinite. Unconditional. Unconditional. Oh, yeah. There we go. Unconditional, ever flowing, always there, never lets you down. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. That is beautiful. I applaud him for that. Yeah. And I applaud you for just sticking to your vision because I think it was 17 years, right? Later. 17 years. Well, 17 years after I had the idea. And then I ended up, and this answers the second part of the question. So yeah, I sold our rings, but that obviously didn't pay for a movie that cost several hundred thousand dollars to make. It was not easy to get the funding. Okay. And I focused on the outcome so much. And while I was focusing on the outcome, I was guided to do certain things, create a YouTube channel, make videos, practice being an interviewer, start a podcast. You know, we started our podcast in, I think, 2016, I believe. And then we kind of, you know, we started making the movie. So there's this big gap of time that there's no podcast. And then we started again. And I was guided to do all of these things, build community, build community, build community. And as the funds came in, we were able to build a community that would receive the film. And then it just grew from there. But my rings were not the first sacrifice. I also got my car repoed. 
<laughs> and that's in the movie too. And you know what? You can buy another car. You can buy rings. And I know that these things are probably hard for people to hear, especially on a financial podcast. So there's some irony here, right? And that was many, many years ago. And some of the most successful people that I know, I've met through this program I did through Stanford. There's a program that just supports Latinos, entrepreneurs. And I was very fortunate to be one of only 18 women in my cohort. There were 70 something people there total, only 18 women. And, you know, on the first day we introduced ourselves, it took about three hours and it was riveting. I can't tell you how many people said I lost my house. I can't tell you how many people said that a car had been repoed. And I was like, (gasps) I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know if I'm ready to say that publicly, right? Mm. But they were some of the most successful people in the room. And they were the ones that took the biggest financial risk, but also matched that risk with the biggest belief in themselves. Because that kind of risk, you don't take that risk because you're going like this. In my opinion, I took those risks and had that those situations happen. And they emboldened me. And I said, this will not be a waste. This will not be wasted on me. I will make something of myself. And I will use this story to to show how low things can sometimes feel, but how important it is to be guided by something else. Because sometimes we put our personal value as the value. (laughs) We attach our personal value with things and money in the bank. And Mm -hmm. one of my greatest lessons of my entire life is being able to untether those two things and know that there is intrinsic value here, limitless value in each one of us, even if that doesn't feel like it matches with the things in front of us or with the money in the bank yet. So still worthwhile to invest in, still worthwhile to believe in yourself, still worthwhile to not allow any negativity or any mistakes or any regrets get in the way of what you believe is possible for yourself in your life. That's beautiful. And congrats for you to getting that program. A program that I've been eyeing, I'm like, how can I be in? (laughs) I haven't looked at it besides seeing people that I know that have been in those cohorts. I'm like, Ooh, one day. Yes, one day, one day. (laughs) One day. I would love it. I would love it. Okay. So we talked about you becoming a filmmaker. And the first film is Being Enye. And then there's a second film that's called... We have not released the name just yet. Okay, that's what what I was like. Okay, never mind. (laughs) I tried. I can tell you what it's about. I thought it was out. I can tell you what it's about. It's not out yet. It will likely be out. We're stalled by the pandemic. We're stalled by fundraising. We're stalled by actually, it's kind of interesting, expanding the vision. We expanded the vision, Mm. which doesn't always add more time to things. But in this case, it did because of lots of factors. So we're looking at a 2023 release. And the film is about generational trauma. The film is about passed Mm. down value systems. The film is about the secrets that we keep in our community that hold us back and the relationship that that has to our experience of belonging. And so it's for women. It's literally for Latinas. And everybody that sees it will find some truth in it for themselves. But this film is for the heroes in my life that I have met, that have conquered, that have overcome, that have done it against the greatest of odds, 
holding secrets that would break your heart and examining that idea and hopefully setting a lot of people free. That is such a fabulous topic. Obviously, you've done your research because I know last year with our event, Financially Strong Latina, one of the things that came up and one of the things that topics that they want covered is trauma. Really? No way. (laughs) That is something that came up. And when I speak with the other Latinas, a topic that's recurrent is trauma, generational trauma and healing. And I'm like, how can you heal? And I'm like, I'm not an expert in healing trauma. So I think that is just so spot on. So I applaud you. Because when we were talking just a little earlier, I thought I heard you say two films and an upcoming book. And I'm like, wait a minute, I must have read on her website wrong. And now... (laughs) I do remember now when you were saying about the trauma, I remembered. Yes, I read that. So you've got the one film, the one upcoming film that may be about 2023. And you also have an upcoming book. Yes. So and the book and the film, I would say are cousins, but they're different. Okay. The book goes into <laughs> Primos Hermanos, quizás. <laughs> this will clearly make sense to all the Latinos that are listening to this. <laughs> so yeah, the book will be it is more my personal journey examining the secrets that I keep and have kept. Mm. And it's a prescriptive type of book, so it's called prescriptive memoirs. I share stories and then give some advice and wisdom, you know, how I kind of overcame these horrible difficulties. And then the film is an invitation to women to do the same, but at scale. So not so much about my life, but about the lives of women that I've met on my journey over the last eight, nine years doing this and just extraordinary stories of triumph and examples of it does not matter where you come from or what happened to you. I mean, it matters. It's part of your story, right? But it has no relation on what's possible for you, has no bearing. As a matter of fact, it actually will help you because of, you know what, when you experience a lot of pain in your life and a lot of challenge and trauma, it expands what you believe is possible to the negative. And so as above, so below. It is literally, if you are able to look at your life in the opposite direction and say, okay, what is possible? You can go that far and believe something is possible in the exact opposite direction. So one of my favorite books is The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. And there's a chapter in that book. I think it's called On Joy and Pain. And I discovered it when I was in my early 20s. And it describes this, like the capacity that someone has to experience pain is also their ability to experience joy. Something like that. Mm. He said it way better. But it was like, oh, that makes me feel so much better. Oh my gosh. So. (laughs) That's beautiful. I just want to applaud you, Denise, because you have done so much. Becoming a filmmaker, having a film, having an upcoming film, and an upcoming book. Like, that is ridiculously amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, even just uh, publishing a book is hard in itself, like finding someone to publish your book, if you want to do the traditional route, but to also get a film out there, because how much did you say the funding was it took for being an yet? 
Yeah, I would say at the end of the day, it was about 350 to 400 to make that film, which is actually for a doc, kind of not that much money, which is kind of bananas, right? When you think about it, the next film budgets over a million dollars. And Being In You was 37 minutes. It was designed to be able to screen it and have a conversation afterwards to, you know, kind of do either a 60 minute program or a 90 minute program. So it would be accessible as a product like that. The next film is going to be feature length, which is anything over 40 minutes, according to the Academy, which I didn't know before I started doing this, and oftentimes 90 minutes. And so the reason why we are investing a lot of resources into it is because it's such a hard conversation. It's such a hard thing to talk about trauma. Mm -hmm. And we want to honor it with the highest production value possible. What we're saying is it's a film about love and it's the most beautiful film that you will ever see about the hardest topics that you've ever heard. But we don't want people to turn away. We want people to feel invited into the conversation. And when films have a high production value, it honors the topic. And so it's kind of like that Fabergé egg, like priceless presentation of something so delicate is super important to myself and my team so that we make sure that people feel honored. Because I think, I know I'm biased. I have a preference towards Latinas. I just can't stand how much I freaking love Latinas and being able to meet the most amazing women over the course of the last decade of my life. And we deserve honor. We deserve grace. We deserve special things. We deserve nice things. And so this is literally like a gift to you. If And, you know, everyone can come, okay? Everyone is invited. So I was like, well, I have secrets. I'm part of a, another ethnic group or cultural group, and I have secrets too. Everyone's invited, and Latinas are going to be exalted. Beautiful. Denise, there's so much more that I want to ask you, but I know we've run out of time. Thank you so much. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for the example that you're setting for us Latinas, and I appreciate everything that you shared. You are truly an inspiration. Thank you. Muchas gracias. Thank you. Of course. Thanks for having me. ¿Qué pensaste? What did you think? She is so incredibly awesome, right? She's inspiring. And the lessons that she shared are just really so powerful. You can connect with Denise at Project Enye on Instagram, and I will make sure to link that up in today's show notes. Now, I'm curious to know if you have shared yet your voice as to what you want to learn for our on-demand Dinero workshops. If you haven't, and maybe you haven't heard, we are planning to offer some different on-demand workshops. They will have a cost, but it will be minimal, and you can submit your topics of what you want to learn about at jenhempill.com forward slash dinero workshops, and that link is in today's show notes. Next week, we will meet Jenny Yupal, and we are going to be having a deep discussion on our hustle culture. Is hustling a good thing or is it not? You will hear her thoughts and more next week. Bueno pues, that is everything. Thank you so much for joining me on today's show. 
Be sure to check out the show notes over at jenhempel.com forward slash 308. And remember that being the reina of your money starts now simply by claiming it. I believe in you and so should you. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.